Uh, all right, so hey, one of the, one of the primary watchwords, if you will, of Christianity is, is, that's all right, I'm okay right now, thank you, is faith, right? Um, this is the word, watchword, is maybe not something that's in our everyday vocabulary, right? But it, these words that, like, typify something, right, are watchwords. And one of those for us as Christians is faith. We are people of faith. We're called to keep the faith. We encourage one another in the faith. The Bible invites us to build ourselves up in the faith. We're called to stand firm in the faith. We speak of walking in the faith. We speak of our faith being tested. And all of us seek to be faithful. We seek to be full of faith in all that we say and do. So in short, Christians are people who live by faith. Like, this is a really important part of our identity. But in a way, that's actually not saying that much since every single person lives their life by faith in something. Everyone does. Buddhists, Hindus, Jews are all people who live by faith. Even non-religious people may not claim a faith, yet by virtue of making decisions about what's right and good for themselves and others, they demonstrate that they have faith in some way of understanding the world. Even atheists, I would say to you, live by faith. Theirs is simply a faith that nothing exists beyond the natural world. They take it on faith that there is no God out there. And that's at its most basic level, faith is trust. Faith is trust. And we all trust in someone or something. And so I just want us to kind of begin with this idea that in that sense, faith is an inescapable part of life. Like there's no getting around it. Everyone's going to have faith. Everyone does have faith in something. The real question is who or what will we choose to place our trust in? What sort of faith will come to define our lives? We already read this morning from Psalm 33, which I think provides this beautiful summary. We read these words. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust, we have faith in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So our trust, that which defines our faith, as Christians, is in the God of the Bible. Even more specifically, the God who we confess is most fully revealed in the person of Jesus. And our trust is in his holy name, the psalm says. Which is another way of saying that our faith is not one that's predicated on the notion that religious devotion and piety will somehow merit the favor of God towards us. That's not Christian faith. Christian faith is that God is who he says he is and that God can do and will do what he says he will do. These are the words that we sang this morning on the promises of God, that we believe that he is true to these things and that we'll see them fulfilled. So I want to spend some time this morning There's in our three, besides the psalm, the three other lectionary texts for this morning uh, come from Genesis 15, Hebrews 11, and Luke 12, and I want to use those texts as a way for us just to dwell a little bit more deeply on the subject of faith. So let me read uh, from Genesis 15 for us. 
After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So, um, sorry, I'm just real. is this not on or working? Got it. Okay, so I'll just use this. I was fooled. So Abram's long been thought of as the father of the faith, right? Y'all are probably pretty familiar with that. And the reason that Abram is thought of as the father of the faith begins right there in that passage that we read. And what I hope to, for us to see this morning is that faith comes to us as an invitation. Faith comes to us as an invitation and meets us actually in our, the place of our deepest desires. That's going to be really important. So the, the whole idea of invitation has become really important to me in the last few years. I don't know if I would have said that before then. But we all, we, like, we love invitations, right? Everybody loves to be invited to things. It makes us feel f- seen and special. If you receive an invitation, it means someone thought of you specifically and wanted to invite you to something. As opposed to having decisions made for us or someone like applying any kind of pressure to try to get us to do something, an invitation is very different. Because when we attempt to use any kind of power and coercion to get people to do things, we run the risk of breaking a relationship, breaking trust. Because we're applying pressure and trying to get someone to do something that they may not want to do. And this, so this is one of the reasons for as long as I've been sending our Monday emails, right? They always have these three categories. And the last one is always invitations. And these are never like have-tos or even shoulds. Um, I have some friends who um, have fun with this, the wording of this, and say, we have a really big problem with shoulding on ourselves and on other people. I should do this. I should do this. You should do this. You should do that. And they call it like, we have to really be careful about shoulding on ourselves and other people. Invitations are different. When I send these invitations, you may or may not act on them as you feel led. And so what we see with Abram is that faith is an invitation because God comes to Abram unbidden and he invites him to respond in faith. But whether or not Abram actually does respond in faith is completely up to him. God is extending an invitation for him to respond in faith. But here's the other thing that I said I really want us to see in this passage is the alignment between God's purposes and Abram's desire. That God was set about, he meant to be doing something in the world. But what God was going to do in the world, he was going to do through people in the world. Not sort of like unilaterally, just dropping things from heaven. God was on a mission to create for himself a people who would become a blessing to the whole world as they lived in a covenant relationship with him. And Abram was concerned about an heir, 
in his own family line, which was just a really big deal, thinking about your heir in a family line that long ago. So here's what I love about this. That we, don't ha- we have no indication whatsoever that Abram was the least bit concerned with anyone except for himself and his heir and his line. It's not like Abram's out there wandering around going, boy, I really hope the whole world is going to be okay someday. The only thing we have in this text is Abram saying, boy, I really hope I get an heir of my own line, right? Someone who's going to carry on my name and our family. But God comes and meets him precisely at that point, at the point of Abram's desire. And he extends to him this invitation of faith, but it's a faith in something that's far more significant than Abram could possibly have imagined or desires, right? God meets him right there. So let me just stop there and ask us this morning, where is your own place of ache or need or desire this morning? If you just take a moment to search your mind and your heart, where do you ache What is your need? What do you really want? What do you desire? What keeps you up at night and occupies a disproportionate amount of your thoughts and attention during the day? What I would want to say to you is that you should know it's at precisely that point that God means to meet you and to extend an invitation to you to respond to him in faith. God sees that. He knows that. He wants to meet you at exactly that point and extend to you an invitation to respond to him in faith. Not faith that he'll do for you exactly what you think he should do for you or what you want, but that master weaver that he is, he wants you to know that he sees you and knows your deepest longings, and he desires to graft those things into his own plans for the world most likely in ways that you can't even imagine or comprehend right now. As a man, Abram was nothing special. Like, God didn't pick him because there was anything special about him. But as the writer of Genesis says, he, Abram, placed his faith in God, and what did God do? God credited it to him as righteousness. We are all very ordinary people here this morning. But when we place our faith in God, absolutely extraordinary things can emerge as a result. That's all it takes, is us knowing what is our need, what is our desire, where is our heart breaking, and what is the invitation of faith that God wants to extend to us at exactly that point. And it's out of that that extraordinary things can result. With Abram, so extraordinary was what God did through Abram and his faith that it remained the cornerstone of Israel's faith for two millennia, or four, actually, if you want to take it up to today. Because Abram lived as long before Jesus as you and I live on this side of Jesus. And so think about what was happening in the first century, and Jesus steps on the scene, and and Abram is the father of the faith. Like, they had been thinking that for 2,000 years. And then Jesus steps on the scene, and we too then have been for 2,000 years, right, thinking of Jesus as the incarnate revelation of God. So bear that in mind as we read uh, a few other uh, verses here from Hebrews 11. 
Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So here we have, when that passage starts, talking about Abram, Abraham, it's talking about him as an exemplar of what it means to be a person of faith. But I think it's really important to just note again what that involved, okay? We read that passage, and it talked about Abram, Abraham having no idea where he was going. Like, God didn't give him a map. He didn't tell him exactly how it was going to turn out. He just called him to follow. It talked about Abraham living as a stranger in a foreign country. I don't know how many of you may have had an opportunity to live as a foreigner, live as a stranger in a foreign country, but it is incredibly unsettling <laughs> and disequilibrizing. When you don't know the language and you don't know the customs, you may not have any friends, you may not know how to find employment. Like this is what Abraham went through. It talked about him living in tents. And even if you really like camping, like that's not what's in mind here. It's like he didn't have a permanent home. He didn't have a place to like permanently raise a family and grow a garden and crops and all that. Like he was on the move, living in tents. And that wasn't just true for him. It was true for the next generation as well, his children, Isaac and Jacob. And isn't this just so often the journey of faith? That it requires the stripping away of certainty and comfort and control. Like, and those are not enjoyable realities for us. I don't know one person who walks around in the world going, I wish I just had less control over the things that happened to me. I'm way too comfortable. <laughs> I wish I could kind of give that up, right? Or I'm really certain about these things. I probably need to put myself in a situation where I'm not certain about anything. Like no one seeks those things out. But that is the journey of faith. They're core characteristics of what it means to be people of faith of God in the world. Maybe we would want to try to think about some of the most unsettling events of our own lives and the amount of faith that it might have taken for us to step 
into those things. Stepping into marriage, maybe. Having kids, certainly. Maybe making a mid-career shift. Maybe moving to a place that you don't know anyone. Maybe losing a spouse or receiving life-altering news. All those things can be massively unsettling. Or how about this journey that we're embarking on now of trying to restart a 200-year-old church? That's a journey of faith that's unsettling in some ways. So we should ask. I mean, it just makes good sense to ask. Why is it that we say yes to acts of faith that move us out of our comfort zone and expose us to risk and loss? Why would we say yes to those things? So I want to go back to Abraham and look in verses uh, 10 and 12. Sorry, let me go back there real quick. Hold on. Hebrews 11, verses uh, 10 to 12. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And I want to say that like Abraham, we say yes to the invitations that God brings our way to act in faith because as the people of God, our primary point of reference, because we believe God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do, our primary point of reference is not if, but when. Not here, but there. Not now, but then. And maybe more than anything else, not us, but them. We have these alternative points of reference. We receive God's invitations like Abraham to live by faith because we believe that there is no comparing what we can build to what God can build. You saw that in that verse, right? Abraham aware of what he might be able to build on his own, but he had God promising him, follow me and I will build something. (laughs) And Abraham's going, I'll be a part of what you want to build. And because God can do to, uh, for us what seems impossible and laughable. And we think about Abraham and Sarah, past childbearing age, and Sarah laughing when she heard, right, that she was going to have a child. This is why we say yes to God's invitations of faith is because we live as part of a story where we believe God does miracles and God does things that we can't even imagine. And he, but here's like the kicker. In verse 13, we read this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And this just has to be one of the absolute hardest things about living by faith as Christians in our world today, right? The idea that we may not be the recipients or get to behold that which we place our faith in. It's really hard for me. I imagine for you as well. 
that in an age of instant gratification and all the forces that incline us to protect and provide for ourselves and those that we love by any possible means, like that's what we're inclined to do by our culture, to receive God's invitation of living by faith in his promises means that we have to lay aside those alternative kinds of priorities and values in favor of delayed gratification and in favor of becoming people who willingly sacrifice for the sake of others, potentially being those who will never, at least on this side of eternity, have the chance to know. And I just think it's right and fair and good for us to admit that that is a hard pill to swallow. That walking in faith in God and his promises doesn't necessarily mean that we get to be the recipients of the beholders of God's fulfillment of those promises. But of course, this is precisely the example that we have in Jesus. This is what Jesus shows us, who invites us to follow him in faith. And so I want to close this morning by looking at a few verses from Luke chapter 12. Jesus speaking to his disciples. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. So Jesus, there's so much here that we could take a lot of time to unpack, but just a few closing thoughts. Jesus is speaking here of watchfulness, watchfulness as an expression of our faith. And he uses this metaphor of servants waiting on their master to return from a wedding banquet. But then what he does is he flips the expectations that his hearers would have had on their head. Whereas what people would have been expecting would have been for Jesus to encourage people to stay watchful so that they could serve their master when he comes home, right? This is what servants do. If the master is away and coming back, you would have thought that Jesus is going to say, be on watch, look out, because you want to be ready as soon as your master comes so that you can tend to him, serve him. But he says, keep watch because when the master returns... He will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at a table and he himself will come and wait on them. Like that is a complete reversal of expectations. And it would be the complete opposite of every message you might have ever heard that was meant to like keep you on your spiritual toes lest you face God's wrath and judgment. Like I don't know if you've heard messages like that. But I have, (laughs) and I know plenty of other people who have. And the idea is, stay on your guard, stay on your toes. 
Because if you're not ready when Jesus comes back, he's going to get you. And Jesus is saying the complete opposite of that. What Jesus is saying is that God has such good things in store for us that we surely don't want to miss out. So be ready, keep watch, have faith. You want to be ready when Jesus shows up and says, I want to give you everything. (laughs) I want to serve you. I want to honor you. You do not want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. Jesus encapsulates that in the very first verse that I read. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And I hope we hear in these words the tenderness, the mercy, and the compassion of God that I referenced and prayed for when I started. Don't be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. God is not angry. God is not withholding. God is not a tyrant. And God is not capricious. God is loving and generous and merciful and benevolent. And what he wants more than anything else is for you and I to receive his invitation to live lives of faith in him and his promises to us and the world so that we can be heirs, recipients of God's good good promise, heirs of his kingdom. As I said before, um, hard as it might be, the truth is that you and I will not always get to see the fulfillment of those promises. But through our lives of faith, what happens always, guaranteed, through our lives of faith, we become participants in the very life and love of God in the world. Like there's no having to wait on that. There's no having to ask, what if this other promise doesn't come true? The one promise of God that's always ours in Christ Jesus, that we always get to receive, is the invitation to become participants in what he's doing in the world right here and right now. His own life and love. His mission. Citizens, heirs of his kingdom. Which is the treasure above all other treasures. So in a moment, we're going to move into a time of prayer. But just, I want to give us this question to hold as we do so. to ask ourselves this morning, God, as you have promised me your kingdom, that is a promise God makes to each and every single one of us here this morning. You are a part of God's little flock. And he says that he desires to give you his kingdom. God, as you have promised me your kingdom, how are you inviting me to receive that promise through the deepening of my faith in you? Like this is what I would love more than anything for us this morning is to be able to walk away with a very simple question in our minds. Where is that point of need or desire or ache that we have, that we feel? To confess that before the Lord and ask, God, how are you inviting me to respond to you in faith? Let me pray towards that end as Amy comes and then leads us in our prayers of the people this morning. Father, uh, I said at the very beginning that one of the key watchwords for us as your followers is faith. We are people of a living faith in you, in who you are and your promises. 
that you've made. You've joined us in with a great story that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years through your people. And we sit here this morning, members of your little flock, heirs of your eternal kingdom, desirous to see you do extraordinary things through us, your ordinary people. So God, would you just speak very clearly to us this morning about your, how are you inviting us to take a further step of living by faith in you and your promises? Reveal that to us, God, and give us courage to follow wherever it is you may be leading. We ask this in Jesus' name.